Silver, a podcast about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and I am a visual artist and longtime fan of the game of basketball. For this episode, I had a chance to interview Coleman Collins, a former professional basketball player who is also an artist. Coleman played basketball for Virginia Tech before graduating and playing for professional teams in Germany, Bosnia, France, Ukraine, and Bahrain. He moved back to the States to pursue his Master of Fine Arts at UCLA and is now based in New York City. We had the chance to speak about all of these experiences, and I'm so grateful to him for coming on the show. His voice as both an athlete and practicing artist is invaluable. I hope you all enjoy. Besides literally playing, getting the opportunity to play professional basketball, which is a really amazing opportunity, how else did that experience sort of contribute to, to your development? Um... I mean, I think it just exposed me to to other ways of living. Um, I had never been to outside of the country. I hadn't even really been. Well, that's not true. I I, tra- I travel quite a bit with basketball in 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 the U.S., but I had never thought about um, other histories, um, other like ways of living, other systems of government, and I think. I, I think it was really formative for me um, on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't, I didn't have, I'd never been in a different context. I had, I had no way of. I mean, I think we you, you have a really cursory understanding of history and world history. You know, like the big things, you know, World War Two, World War One, etc. Um, but generally, there's not a lot about the particulars of of other cultures and other, and, and there's so much that doesn't get covered because it's always from a, a U.S. centric perspective right um so i think i think i mean the big thing is just going to places where there was a very specific history and different traumas um whether it was living in germany you know or living in bosnia like within you know 15 20 years after the war um and how how that still permeated like everyday life um, yeah and yeah, I don't know. I I think I mean there was there's a a lot of it was just like really fun, right? Like learning other languages, traveling, um, all the different experiences. Um, like you know, but but on a on a deeper level, I think there was a real intensity um, to. Under, understanding like historical memory, I think. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that stays with me the most, or that maybe affects my artic, artistic practice mm-hmm. the most, is having an understanding that different people remember things differently and experience things differently, and 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 also like social formations aren't like I think the U.S. the way we talk about you know difference or like race and gender and um, ethnicity religion really it's 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 really useful here but it i think there are a lot of other ways that things are set up and a lot of ways that that dynamic doesn't necessarily map on to other contexts mm-hmm. i think it was really good to see 
how there were different intricacies, or the, the different ways that that, that 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 could be complicated, I guess. Um, yeah, can you, is there an example of that? Like something that maybe you thought you understood and when projecting it onto your experience in a different country, it didn't work? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing, um, Hmm. I think it's not a question of whether it worked, what worked or not. It's just uh-huh. that there are like, look, I, I mean, I grew up in a very specific context. I grew up in the South. I grew up in, um, I'm, I'm from Atlanta and there's a lot of, you know, like, the Civil War still um, affects, I think, everyday life. Um, there's sort of remnants of the Confederacy, um, and then you know Reconstruction, Civil Rights Act, etc. Um, and I think, okay, like, one way is that, like, you know, in Germany, it was really instructive to see how they, well, you know, now there's a, there's a uh, sort of neo-nazi revival but right. they, but in a lot of ways they had dealt with the holocaust and really specific specific things that weren't allowed that I, you know like the fact that a confederate flag is that are are everywhere confederate flags are everywhere in the south versus um in germany where so many things related to the nazi party are completely illegal whether mm-hmm. they're hand signals or certain phrases or certain parts of the national anthem that you can't sing anymore, um, and so, so that was like in, a, in like really broad strokes that was really interesting for me. Um, but I think just the idea of secular, like the idea of secularism in France, um, mm-hmm. like how that, on the one hand, I found really really refreshing, but on the other hand, when it was sort of expressed in a really Islamophobic way. Um, and they had, you know, when I was there, there was the time when they had the big controversy around burqas and, and hijab and, mm-hmm. and public life. Um, yeah, I mean, the divisions between Muslims and Christians in Bosnia, and, and then not only Muslims and Christians, but Muslims, Orthodox Christians and Catholics, and you know that there, there were these. I think like, like it, people refer to it as ethnic t- tensions, but it's not necessarily a completely different ethnicity. They're just people who found themselves on one line, on one side of a line or another, or, or converted to Islam when when the Ottomans occupied them. They're, they're not like, you know, they're, they're referred to as different ethnicities, but that is a bit of, I mean, I, I find it a bit of a fiction, you know, but that that there were all these people who, to me, had so much in common, language, um, food, culture, um, but are there really real differences and, and real effects um, that, like so many people died and so many people's lives were affected by the war 
so I mean, but but you find that everywhere. I mean, like I mean, Bosnia is a really obvious example. But even spending time in Spain, like post Franco, how that's dealt with. Um, every country has these really specific uh, traumas or complications within the within the like national like like all of the all of these nations are really they're they're much more complicated than just someone's French or someone's Spanish or someone's mm-hmm. you know Bosnian or American. They're within that it's always contested and they're always like kind of being defined against either like a foreign ideal or against some other um, thing that's defined as like outside. I don't know, I'm I'm kinda of rambling here, but but there there are just a number of ways that being in for being in Ukraine, um, where there's you know, ethnic Russians, ethnic Ukrainians, there's these differences in language within the nation. So I guess sort of maybe more broadly just understanding the nation state, understanding like how those are constructed in other contexts and that it's always I mean in the US it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that the nation the nation is a fiction and that it's there's so many different groups of people under under that. But I think that same logic applies to other places. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that that is an interesting point, especially because like the that can all be happening within a really small amount of land. Like it doesn't have to be a big country for there to be a lot of different groups of people broken up. No, yeah, not at all. Um, especially when I think about, um, yeah, just Eastern Europe. And I'm wondering your experience um, in when you were playing for all of these different teams. I mean, how did you, how did you go about learning about these places Besides your everyday experience, were you um, getting, you know, uh, Lonely Planet guides or things like that? Or were you just taking things as they as they came to you? Or, or how did that, um, uh, when you found out that you'd be um, moving to a different team and, and playing for a different uh, team, how would you go about sort of trying to engage with that place? Uh, I wasn't really... I wasn't really buying like tourist guides. I was I was reading a lot of history books. Mm-hmm. I would read either whatever, whatever like the seemed to be or the definitive history, or you know, or, or there are certain places where like a novel would be really specific. Um, so I, I read a lot of you know French history, German history, um, history of the Soviet Union. In, in, in Bosnia, there was a there's a novel called um, "The Bridge Over the Trina by Ivo Andrić, who, who that was suggested to me. Uh-huh. So I, I that and that that book I find to be really really interesting and fascinating, and it's kind of set under the under the when when that region was in was in the Ottoman Empire. Um, so there are all these different sources. I mean, every there's all you know it's like. I guess I would. I mean, what would you say for the U.S. like uh, Huckleberry Finn or every mm-hmm. every every country has that thing, and then there's the there's the actual histories, but then there's the like the novels and the poetry, and I was kind of just kind of flitting in between that um, more. I, I guess I was getting more of a like, cultural education about about places than a. Um, 
Um, although, I mean, I did a lot of terrorist stuff. And, right, of course, of course. Uh, I didn't mean to say that I, I didn't do that, but I, I don't know that it was as formative as, as reading like history books. Right. And how did this, so that, I mean, how has your career as an artist evolved from how is how have those experiences also informed your career as an artist or your or your art practice i should say because like reading books about places is like i do that like that's something that i do for my practice as well um and so i'm just wondering that reading and writing seem like a really prominent part of that inform your making and i'm wondering if you could talk about that yeah i mean i think i really hesitate to 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 um refer to what I do in art as research because I feel like the like research based practice it kind of it kind of is a really aspirational term. You know, it's not research so much. Um, you know, what I what I do do is when I'm interested in something and when I wanna speak to it, I read a lot of books first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I read a lot. Um, and I think that habit of reading, I mean, looking, but also reading to understand or to, to, to just get information um, that might be expressed in a, in a in form later is, is something that carries over to, to my art practice. Um, I think another thing is just, I don't know, I mean, I would say the concern, a concern for world history is maybe a through line. Mm-hmm. Um, so on a thematic level that, that there are like a lot of, a lot of it deals with history and, and a political history, but on a more practical level, I think just like reading a ton writing. I don't write as much as I should. I haven't really written anything lately. Um, I mean, like little notes to myself, but right. um, I think that's something I'd like to incorporate more as things progress. How did that, how did the writing manifest itself when you were getting an MFA or in your, um, your studio program at the Whitney? How, how has, how have you had to sort of, I, for my MFA, I got to be quite creative with how I chose to write my thesis, the thesis portion, like the written portion of the thesis. And I'm just wondering how that has sort of manifested for your work. Honestly, it hasn't as much as I, I think it should. Um, I like, I write, re- I, don't, I don't write as often as I'd like to actually. Um, I kind of, I do much more reading than writing. Mm-hmm. I read like, you know, one or two books a week and I'm always like reading like three or four books at a time and picking things up and putting them down. And then it's kind of like all this information kind of washes over me. And from that, um, I, I, I found that to be really generative, but I think what I'd like to do is be a little bit more specific in, in reflecting on things as I, as I consume them. Um, because there's something about, I mean, I think you learn in school, right, to 
you read a book, then you write a book report. You like you have to digest it and think. And that I it's not as if I it's not that I don't think critically about it, but I I don't think I've been taking enough time to really um, work out my response to it. Um, I, I'll have an intellectual response, and maybe if I know someone else who's read it, then we'll get into a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think I'd really like to to take more time to to just write at length about about things because um, I think it'd be useful for later. Mm-hmm. And just to to backtrack a little bit as far as how when you if you could talk a little bit about your transition from being abroad to being back in the United States and from playing basketball professionally to pursuing art and being an artist. Well, I mean, it was actually quite abrupt. Um, I had been thinking about going to grad school for a while, but I didn't know what I would do. Mm -hmm. And um, then I got injured uh, and was out for most of a year um, when I was living in France. And I did a lot of rehab and I, I got back in shape and I was feeling really good about the next season. And then when I came in in the fall, the team they were like, "Okay, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any playing time if you if you stay here." They had signed someone else. Um, so then it was like, "Okay, um, I could have gone. Not gonna go to another team and fought for fought for playing time, or like mm-hmm. I would have like had to do the." Kind of redemption thing and prove myself um and then although i felt really good and i put a, and i put a lot of work into to getting um to getting like to dealing with the knee injuries i had had um i didn't want to go to a new country um so like i had some like i, I had a couple offers in like montenegro um i didn't but i like i didn't want to i didn't want to do that the french league the way the way the, I mean, this is kind of um, inside baseball here, but the yeah. way the, the way the French league, the market works, the timing was weird. So I, I left the team, let's say in September and all of the rosters were pretty full at that point. And there wasn't going to be anything that picked up until maybe December, which is when they start cutting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or, you know, December or January. And then and alternatively, I could have gone to like, you know, I could have gone somewhere in East Europe again, um, but I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to play for an East European coach because they're they're really intense. Um, like you practice so much, uh, you like in France the practice schedule is a lot more relaxed. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to go. I'm I'm loving I'm this uh, inside baseball. I love all the the details. <laughs> yeah. No, because it was like okay, I had a, I had a decent deal in Montenegro, and I was like, I don't want to go there and play. Um, I don't want to play for for like a, a Serbian coach because they're just too intense. Mm-hmm. I'm too, and I and then I don't know that I want to have to prove prove myself. Like I had gotten to a certain point, I had been making really good money. Um, Enough that I had some savings, and so, so okay. So then, in France, the team, because France has a really good legal system, like there are a lot of countries where they can just cut you and not pay you. 
mm-hmm. but in France they can't do that. So so they had to pay me like the bulk of my contract. Let's say like seventy five percent of it um, when when they when I left. So I had basically like almost a full year. Um, and then the other thing is that's really particular is that in France, if you're a foreigner, you're eligible for unemployment. Oh, nice. So, so I was like, okay, I've got, I've got, this is almost a year. If I get this unemployment, I've got probably another year of unemployment. Um, or like, so it's almost like a, like a year and a half to two years, not quite, but like a year and a half worth of salary. It was September and like applications were due like January 1st. And I was like, you know what? I should just try to apply to mm-hmm. grad school. So I, completely shifted gears and I like I was like I have a little bit of a cushion and I can try this out and if I don't get in anywhere then I can just play again next year or something you know I'll, I'll have an answer about whether or not I can do this or not you yeah. know so I basically just I moved to so I was in a small town in the north of France and then I um I moved to Paris and I stayed with a friend for a while and I just kind of tried to develop a portfolio um there were certain things that i had been doing i've been making these little videos right but a lot of the other stuff was like just i i came up with i had i brainstormed i had like five things that i was really interested in doing i did four of them and those were the four things that were in the portfolio um yeah i I mean i made some trips to some schools I, i flew back to the states and like toured some um some grad programs to find some more information about things but it was really i mean it was really like a a couple of things came together and i felt like okay this is this is the time when you have you have a little bit of a safety net Mm -hmm. you can take a chance and really just see what happens and um yeah well and then i then i ended up getting in the school so then i was like okay i guess i'm really gonna do it yeah. And um, then I just kind of moved forward from there. Um, yeah. yeah. Did you, um, so when you had thought about going to graduate school before, had you, you had really, you only, did you only apply to, to MFA programs or were there other sort of uh, graduate degrees that you were interested in getting? Um, I apply, I mean, I only applied to art programs in the end. I had, for a long time, I thought I would maybe do like a creative writing or like film school or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up, I applied to MFA programs and then I applied to two, two programs that weren't MFAs, but they're like art programs that one was at Harvard, one was at MIT. Right. And they're, they're like, they're, they're for artists, but they're, they're underneath the architecture schools because they don't have art schools at those those institutions so uh-huh. um basically yeah basically i was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get an mfa because i felt like there were so many things that you could incorporate incorporate into an art practice that i i thought i thought other disciplines were a little bit too restrictive do you think that that is the common understanding that people have of of art that it is the that it is not restrictive or, or sorry, pursuing 
like higher education in art, I feel like there is such a, I guess I'm saying my answer to that within my question to you is that I feel that there's like a kind of a misunderstanding about that as far as it being, oh, you're really um, backing yourself into a corner or sort of blocking out all these other opportunities where I feel like as an artist, a lot of things are opened up. The art is not just about art, if that makes sense. No, no, totally. I mean, I think it's really expansive. I mean, I think you can have a really expansive um, practice um, that you, you, you know, like it offered things that perhaps like a film, film degree, a film degree or like a writing degree would not have. And I also think, I mean, on one hand, I think um, I have a lot less practical skills than I would have had I gotten a film degree. Um, if I had, you know, I would, I would definitely be more, I, whatever the thing was that I focused on, whether it was editing or working a camera or producing, I'd have, I'd have a lot more things that were translatable into an actual job. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like the, because it's less restrictive and less, um, well, I, I guess there's different programs, but the was less medium specific um, that I was able to try my hand at a lot of different things and have a more develop a more interesting project um, for myself than I would have had I tried to be a traditional filmmaker or, um, or something like that. You know? um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of options. There's a lot of ways you can go about things and there's so many people I know who, who kind of Flip, you know, go back and forth between um, painting and writing or sculpture and video or performance um, or you know, internet-based works. Um, I mean, that's something that really appealed to me. The sort of multi-practice, like not having one medium that you work with consistently. Yeah, and then, like, and then the fact that like you could be you know, there are people like Steve McQueen or, or Rashi Johnson who, who, I mean, Rashi Johnson, I think, I don't think he had made really much video. He just directed this film for HBO, but, he mm-hmm. hadn't, you know, he was making paintings, sculptures, photos. Um, I mean, and, Steve, and, then, and someone like Steve McQueen where you can move from video art um, to making feature-length films. It felt more, it felt easier to move in that direction than the, than the opposite. Right. Um, That it wouldn't foreclose on traditional cinema if that was something. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't even know that that's something I'm interested in, but, but you know, I feel like you you could do that if you want to. And did you, um, if you're able to think about it now, have you found any similarities between working at your basketball skills and working at your art practice? Is there any overlap mm-hmm. between like the creative for me? I mean, I guess when I'm watching basketball, I think of it as this, you know, some of my favorite players I, I find to be sort of creative geniuses in some way that they're sort of just responding to, to what is happening and, and reacting and creating this, uh, it's not tangible, but this um, movement and this dynamic on the court. And I'm just wondering if you, I have been able to have any parallels between making art and participating in basketball and, and making basketball plays. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's different, though, because uh, basketball is super creative. I mean, compared to other sports, so- soccer is is similar, perhaps, in that the, the, the number of actions aren't really prescribed. Like, so many different things can happen. And that's nice. not like baseball. Like, baseball is like three out. You know, there's, there's a couple outcomes. Um, football is similar. Uh, Although football is a little bit more complicated, but but I think on an individual level, there's only these, there's, there's different things that can happen during the play, but each player can only, like there's certain players that can't touch the ball, certain people that can't catch it, there's certain, you know, there's so many things that are prescribed, um, you know, with an O. Yeah. And in basketball, um, it is super creative and there's so many different things that can happen, but I think it's still... Within it's still within a really defined framework, and I think that's at once really interesting about art, but also a little bit scary if you're if you come from like a sports background, because you don't have anyone. At least you know in basketball that you 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 know what the goal is. You know the goal is one to win the game, and then you win the game by like making more baskets or whatever. Right. But in art, it's really. Um, no yeah. one really knows what what the goal is, and I mean, I mean there are different awards and things, but but like success is much harder to define, and it's much harder to define on a day to day basis. It's I, I found myself really confused, just like on a Monday to Friday, like what am I doing? Is this going well? Um, I don't have any feedback. There's no objective measurements. And in, in sports, is that you know how many points you're scoring, you know um, what your efficiency rating is. If you have like better analytics, you know whether you're winning or losing. Even on a day-to-day basis, you know whether you played well in practice or not, just by how you did. You know, and in artists, like you can go weeks without without having any idea of like whether things are going well or not. I mean, you you, you can feel feel good, I guess. But a lot of that depends on mood. And you, you know, I don't know. You, I get I, now. I've gotten to a point where I can be like, okay, I feel like I like where things are going. Mm-hmm. I had a good day in the studio, but it's not as cut and dry. And you don't have any, you don't have any external measures of it. You know, it's just it's purely it's something that you have to define yourself, which again is really is really beautiful, but it's also nerve wracking and anxiety inducing and. and it was very difficult, I think, and continues continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think a lot of other people go through it too, which is nice. Yeah, I think the ex- the external measures point is really interesting because even when you do have ex- external measures of feedback from a professor or a peer or whatever, it's like that external measure could be so different from the next professor you talk to that there's mm. there's no. Um, there's no answer. There's no, this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing, or this is the good thing and this is the bad thing. It's like so up to who is who you are sharing with that it's difficult. Yeah. yeah. And no one also the other thing the other thing is that no one like basically the person who wins the the person who wins the championship each year. It's not always the best team. But it's pretty close, you know. Mm-hmm. The person who wins the MVP isn't always the best player, but it's not wildly con- like you, no one would ever say that. Like, 
like like for example, yesterday it was between what James Harden and and Giannis, right? And Giannis, you know, Antetokounmpo wins, and it's like somewhat. There's an argument about it, but it's no one's was gonna say like he sucks. Yeah, or what you know? happened here? How how could this have? Yeah. Ha- yeah, but people in art like there are like artists who win awards that a lot of people hate, and there are artists who sell a lot of work that a lot of people hate. You know, and there's there's like no one thinks no one thinks that the person who wins the Golden Lion in any in any one year is necessarily the best artist in the world. You know, like there's there's huge. You know, you can't really put that much stock into it because it's not—it's not something that is so cut and dry. I guess, like yeah. the, the, whoever wins the best, but they, you know, obviously there's some quality. It's not like completely divorced from, from, um, you know, quality, but it's not. Just people don't trust it. Like it's—it's, it's, it's, and it's not like something that can drive your everyday practice. Whereas if if you if you're in. Uh, in a sport it depends what you know whatever league you're in you wake up the first day of the season and you're like okay we want to win the league um that's what we want that's our goal we mm-hmm. know what our goal is everything that we do is in the service of that um obviously that you can have people who are selfish or not selfish but who have like personal things or personal goals within that but it doesn't do anyone any good to like work against the goal which is to win the thing right there's there's like a there's an object there's a really like clear object um and everyone agrees that it's worthwhile you know otherwise you wouldn't do it you know like you like if you and you you couldn't publicly admit that you didn't want to win the championship um it would be it'd be ridiculous right yeah or that you were going for mvp versus uh the championship yeah yeah yeah, and and I mean, obviously, you want to win the MVP, but 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 what I'm saying is that there are a lot of people who are involved with art who, like, really don't care about winning, winning the golden, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't set the golden line, but whatever. Who who who, like, who wake up every day and that's not really what they're focused on. There's there's so many different. So not only are there like a number of different strategies or like ways of working, but there's so many different reasons that people make make things mm-hmm. that are not defined that, that can only sort of be defined internally and within their sort of internal logic um, which is really which is really interesting um, and that, that doesn't exist which can exist in sports like it can't it just, it's not possible you know right and I think that the idea of making things versus the idea of art it's like when do those two kind of start to be um, either need each other or um, sort of that they're when you are just creating versus creating and being a part of this other world where, you know, it can matter, your CV can matter and applying for shows and applying for residencies and all these things are a part of that versus this just um, desire to uh, fill in this blank space or make this thing that doesn't exist um, mm-hmm. yet for you. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that there's no hierarchy in art because there obviously is. There are like, there are like elite institutions and less elite institutions. There are things that like make a big difference on a CV and there are, there's a competition. Um, of course. But what I mean to say is that the people don't, you don't really be, like, Okay, you, you can't really believe in it in the same way. Obviously, there there 
there are institutions that you respect um, and that you can maybe there can be a general agreement that they're good. But it's not as if people don't believe in the hierarchy in the same way that in sports it's like if you score 30 points a game, you're obviously like clearly better than someone who scores five. Like it's it's much more it's much it's much it's much more complicated than that, I think. But on the other hand, like competition wise in our like the because I think the field of competition is a little bit more unclear and because things are more subjective, right? Like you don't really know there's always this chance that like personal relationships or like things outside of the work itself will affect um, what happens. I think that, mm-hmm. that it feels like competition is a lot. Like you can't really be openly competitive in the way it's, 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 you can't be openly competitive in the way that you can as a, as an athlete. Um, like you can be com- really competitive with people who are your friends in sports. You can be friends with people on the other team. Because you have, like, the field of competition, which exists, and like, is completely separate. Um, and you know the rules. The rules are really clear. The objective is really clear. And so LeBron, James, and, like, Chris Paul can be super good friends, even though they're competing for this thing. But I think it's because the, the, the field of competition is defined, and the rules are completely defined, and everyone knows what it, what it is. Everyone knows what makes you win and lose. I think in art, it, competition is much more dangerous. So it's people who are competitive are like people you want to stay away from. Like when it, to say that someone's competitive is is a, is an issue, you know. Right, and I think that it in some ways. Um you know, when you're applying for something, it's really easy to just forget about all the other people that are applying for it because they're not there next to you the way in a basketball game, the person that you're trying to beat is literally, you know, less than a foot away from you throughout the whole time. But it does feel really, um, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say icky because that kind of sells it short, but it can feel uncomfortable when, when there is some, an artist who's who is about winning quote unquote yeah um and wanting to sort of um to to be on top um yeah so I I think that's a really interesting as, as someone who is really I mean are you really competitive I guess is my question is that something that's like innately a part of who you are or that you would like turn on for basketball and now you're not yeah, I mean, I think I'm. I think I'm naturally quite competitive. Like, I, I'm really, you know, if it's like a board game or something. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm someone who who naturally is is quite competitive, and that served me really well in sports. I think, um, but I don't. And I mean, but I I think I, I've given this quite a bit of thought because you can't really do that. You can't really do that in art for a couple of reasons. One is that. A lot of the competitions are kind of bullshit. Or, I'm sorry. Um, they're, they're like things that, like, you know, there's no guarantee that whatever the official accolade is is, is even that interesting, right, for, for whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, and then the other thing, it's, it's, it's also really distasteful, I think. Um, and it, it, to be, like, nakedly competitive in art is 
I, th- I mean, I think it's a problem. On the other hand, I think there are obviously the things when you apply for things, you want to get them. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't do it. And and there are resources that that you there there are resources that everyone is sort of whether you like it or not competing for because because there are so few resources for artists. Um, so I think it's a. I mean, that's that's been something I think about a lot is like how to how to how how yeah, how competition is enacted um, or like how it's ex- how you experience that in art. I, I don't really know. Um, it's something that's a, like a constant question. Yeah, and I agree with you that there it does seem like. Uh, because there are few opportunities, um, it, it's good to, I mean, we, I think we need each other as artists to kind of lift each other up or say, hey, I just saw this listed on this site. It sounds like it could be a good fit for your work. And I feel like mm-hmm. without people sort of sharing those types of things for me with me or, or me wanting to do it back, it's like that is also a really nice part of the, the art practice, um, yeah. I think, is is including trying to include um other people's art in your own in your own work and trying to think of their work and how it how it can fit into this like larger conversation and the competition can really take away from that I mean sometimes I think it's easier to to opt out of the comparison and the competition than than others um yeah I think I mean I think that like I mean one I do acknowledge that there is competition and that there are resources or residencies or um, you know fellowships or whatever that that people are competing for and that a lot of people you know are like everyone's applying to the same things and only a couple people can get it you know Mm -hmm. but within that but I think maybe the kind of environment that like I've heard a lot about people who go to certain MFA programs where people are really competitive and I I didn't have that experience um, at UCLA but I, I think a lot of that was that pe- there were people there who were just really generous and were like, you know, like, even though we know that there's that there's competition, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a competitive environment. And like, I think just trying to do things that will mitigate that, right? And that which is inherent to it, um, but just like. Um, sharing opportunities when you know about them and like, you know, looking over people, like looking over people's applications, helping, and like, just like from a, just, I don't know. Cause I, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I felt like I had to hide things or like not, tell, of course. you know, cause then when you get in that, that I think that can really get really toxic. Um, you mean like hide your, your vision? Just like you know about something or no. Well, oh well, yeah. Well, yeah, hide, well, one, you can't tell anyone that you got it because you, you think people are going to be jealous of you right, or right, come right. for you or something. And then two, hiding, you, 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 there's like certain, you know, there might be things that you know about that you don't you don't want to tell anyone about. That there's, there's a deadline tomorrow and you won't tell anyone that there's this thing because you're worried that if more people apply. Right, then, yes. <laughs> then you're going to have less of a chance to get it. Or, like, um, and, I, and I think, and, and maybe... But I, I think there's also something in sport, there's something about sportsmanship, about, like, you know, we acknowledge that there's, because because we know 
because we always acknowledge that it's a competition, then within the competition, there are certain things that you do that are like honorable or something mm-hmm. because it, because everyone knows, because it's clear and cut and dry. And then within that, you learn even from like a, from four or five years old that like, here's how you compete honorably, you know? And there's like a right way to play the game and a wrong way to play the game. And, you know, but yeah. I think it also comes from acknowledging that there's a game in the first place that if, and I mean, this is, this is, none of this is really fleshed out. Um, this isn't, I don't know, but just, I guess in thinking about the differences between one acknowledging, always acknowledging that there's a competition and to have, or on the opposite, having like a murky competition that no one knows the rules or no one knows the terms. Right. Um, within the first, you can always maybe within that say, okay, I know this is a competition, but here's how we're going to act within that. Um, but then, you know, and in art, it's like, it's, it's not, I think the, one of the, the most common strategies is to pretend that there's no competition at all which is to say, like, you don't talk about it. You don't, like, you, you don't really want to acknowledge that you really want something. Mm-hmm. Or, like, because that would, that would seem too mm, aggressive or something. I don't know. I mean, it's tough. It's really, it's really tough to deal with. I don't know. Right, and I also think that when, I think that also if we're competitive in art or, or discussing that, it's like, but I think that then that pushes back against this idea of like what artists should be and what art should be and what it should yeah. provide, which I think yeah. is a stereotype that also goes with, well, why do artists like sports or why do I want to sort of support and or I find my muse is this um, sort of like capitalistic monolith that uh, inspires me and makes me want to create things like the NBA and the WNBA. It's like, it feeds my soul. How is that okay? As someone who wants to make like one-off objects that are made by hand, how is that relationship? What is that relationship and how does it make sense? And and is it okay yeah. that it doesn't make sense? Um, I'm sure you've, you've, you might've felt this at UCLA, but like at LSU where I went to grad school, it was like, you kind of, like, it was sort of programmed that you, like, wanted to hate the sports teams a little bit because, like, it was so uh, clear yeah. that, like, the stadium, <laughs> there was so much more money occurring and, and being, you know, they just... Yeah. So, I mean, that's ideological, too, though, because that's so conservative down there. Like, this LSU, like, college right. football, like, it's not... I mean, it's a, it's a real choice not to... It is true. I mean, they are kind of opposed in terms of what they represent, especially in the South. Um, I mean, I think UCLA was big enough that I don't think people hate, hated the sports teams because the, for one thing, the, this is very specific, but the football team doesn't play on campus at UCLA. Oh, okay. So the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena and it's not in, it's not in Westwood. So that means that it's not as consu- all consuming as it is in a college town. Like I went to, I went to undergrad in Virginia Tech and mm-hmm. obviously if there's a football game, then that the whole city changes. Right. Um, and I think in, at UCLA, although the basketball team has a really big following, it's just not on the scale of a football game. Like a football football game, you're talking eighty thousand people on campus. It changes, you know. Right. It's it's like a it's a mini city, and you really kind of the town kind of gets colonized every Saturday. Um, and I think it's probably more urgent to be against that because otherwise you. You're just you're just surrounded in it, you know. Um, well, and what UCLA, are you? Yeah, 
And how are you adding to the conversation? Like if you are just a, a regular fan who just goes to the games and then leaves the games, it's just like, is that, I guess I, I just thought that there was a possibility to create, like that was my, that was some of my research was <laughs> being in proximity to these, um, even though basketball's not a, as big of a deal at LSU, it's just these kind of, uh, in some sense, storied programs, especially with the football program, where it's like, this is a part of not only the school's history, but this whole town's history and uh, the history all around Southern Louisiana. It's like, it is it is a spiritual oh, thing. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I think sports are really instructive in understanding cultural cult, culture and understanding society. Right. Like it, it's, it's not, I think artists... You know, I don't think everyone needs to be sports fans, but it's just really, it's a major part of, it's it's political. Totally. Um, And I mean, especially outside of this country, you know, when you, when I was in Europe, there there are sports teams that are associated with political parties, you know, so like to support Real Madrid versus Barcelona means, you know, being a royalist or a Republican, right? To support... um, Partizan Belgrade versus Red Star means something, or to support, um, you know, um, certain cities over, you know, they're, they're kind of vestiges, they're ways that like political power gets enacted and, and mm-hmm. these political struggles, you know, in Russia, there's the like the CSK, um, which is like, you know, the Red Army team. There's all, all of these, the sports teams kind of either are remnants of like military fitness programs or sort of political parties that also wanted to like incorporate fitness into their, um, into their, their uh, movements, like in the early, early 20th century. And, and the people who own them, like all of that is really political. So I, I think like sports, if not enjoying, enjoying the competition on the field itself, like I think, just understanding the edifice that surrounds it and like how people express their, um, like, like the way, like culturally, the way the college football like works in the South is really, is really, really interesting and all the racial dynamics within that. Um, so, I mean, I think sports are really fascinating. I mean, like, I think sports can be really fascinating for an artist. Um, but I also understand how people want to resist being, sucked into that because it does feel so oppressive sometimes yeah yeah and it's so it's very um it's the thing to do it's like the main it's mainstream um many times so it can feel like oh then I'm just a part of like the masses rather than being like an individual um when you care about a sports team and I think I was thinking about um when I was listening to your other interview, I was thinking about how you were talking about um, Stone Mountain and the, the, the Confederate monument that's there. And um, that LSU was built on a plantation. And I mean, there, there's not any overt recognition of that physically on campus, um, mm-hmm. except for the fact that there's a museum right next to the campus, uh, Magnolia Mound Plant, Plantation Museum. But it's like, when you drive by that, you don't think, oh, all of this land, including LSU, was on this plantation. It just feels like, oh, this is just this one building that talks about this one place. But it's just really interesting. I think also when you're talking about the racial dynamics in the South, what was a plantation is now a football stadium. Yeah, um, look at look at Ole Miss. I mean, right. Look at look at Ole Miss. Like, like, I mean, even that word Magnolia for me, like, 
come from the South is like, it, it connotes this certain kind of nostalgia. Um, like it, it's just, a tree. It, it, it is also just a, a tree, but it, um, like when I hear people talk about the magnolias and the pines and, you know, the, like, it's very, it's very Southern in a way that, that is, it doesn't, ha- I mean, it's funny. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be wrapped up with the Confederacy, but for me, like naming something Magnolia, something, something like is, is this sort of like Southern nostalgia that I, I, I immediately pick up. I mean, I don't know if you're from the South originally. No, no, no. I'm from South of San Francisco. So for me going uh, and yeah, living in yeah. Baton Rouge okay, for so like, probably were like, yeah, I mean, it was like an experiment that I had living in Baton Rouge for four years. It was it was a whole other, um, a whole other dynamics. I mean, not to say that there there is racism also in uh, the Bay Area that is sometimes maybe more. Of um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's exists everywhere. But just thinking about that, people take their engagement photos at um, a plantation, and that's like such well, a common practice. People, people get are getting married. married. Yeah, it's like they're they're beautiful houses and they're beautiful grounds, but it's. Um, you know, it's just the dynamics need to be recognized, like, as far as, you know, I think, like, the football fans and then the football players and who, and the football coaches and, and who is making this, you know, of course, we know who's making the money and we know who's playing the game and and we know who's watching the game and camping out for the game. It's just a really tricky thing. For the most part, I think those dynamics are recognized. Yeah, I always thought it would be funny to get married at a plantation and just fuck it up. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. But, well, but I, was, I was thinking about something earlier, like, just to put a point on it, the, about, like, being, being competitive as an artist, because it's like, not only, because it, not only is it, is it, I think also, like, if you, you want people to, it's, it's like that reality show trope, you know, you want people to be in, in it for the right reasons. Um, so it's also like someone who's like nakedly competitive betrays like they're, that they're interested in art for, for like the wrong things. They're, right. in, they're interested in it for external things. And, and that the truest, you know, the truest way to be an artist is, is for the the thing that I keep coming back to is just like the internal pursuit mm-hmm. um, of something, you know, not like truth or I mean I, I don't know what it is, but that thing that you're looking for every day. I mean, and I think that's really the difference between sports. I mean, that's that's the thing I really like the most, and that and that has been the most difficult, which uh-huh. is that you that you have to find the reason, like, continually find that reason um, and and pin it down and refine it, and then that, maybe that shifts, um, like, what, what your project is. Um, like, it's harder, but, I, but it's also much more rewarding, I think. Yes, because I, I, I agree that it's all coming from, like, the... It, you're inventing all of it. You're inventing, I mean maybe the desire already exists in you, but you're inventing the idea to kind of um, keep that desire feeling satiated. Um, (laughs) And I think it feels so just original to you, which I think is the other reason that competition is tricky in art, because it's, if you don't do it, it might not get done. 
Whereas I think in sports, it's like, if you don't do it, someone else might do it. Maybe not to the extent that you could, but there's like a next, there's a next in line. All uh, um, right. Yeah. Which, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone's going to win the championship. Right. I have a couple more questions for you about your experience as far as I find that, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but this idea of like basketball, when you're in the middle of a play, you're sort of reacting to what is occurring. Um, even if you have like a called play, it's still that you're, you might be, have to change or adjust or things like that. Do you find that you might overthink things less within your artwork because your, your mind has been kind of built up to be reactive and to, to be, to respond to the situation and make a decision rather than Mm. worrying and worrying and worrying and then be like, I'll try this or I'll try that. And no, no, I, I wish there were two, but no, I actually okay. uh, I do kind of fixate on things and kind of, and, and, and it, the good thing, I couldn't do that before and now I can. I mean, that's maybe my natural inclination. And before you, you could only do it to a certain extent because everything's happening so fast, but now I really can wallow in self doubt and, um, <laughs> so now you're like indulging in the, the yeah, yeah. yeah that's so yeah. funny and and also yeah. what about it's like hard oh, to be, it's yeah. hard to be an athlete doing that too which is which was maybe if i was more if i was less um you know less predisposed to rumination i probably would have been a better athlete because I, th- I think i always used to get accused of thinking too much mm-hmm. okay <laughs> you know, I, like they'd be like, "You gotta stop, stop!" And I'd be like, "You know, someone tell me to do something." I'd be like, "Why?" But what about? You know? I'm like, no, no, you gotta go do the thing, right? Um, and that was—I mean, sometimes it can be really helpful to think a lot on the court, but but more often than not, it, you need to be decisive because the person who's more decisive has an advantage, you know. Yes. Um... And how do you think that that has sort of if your team's down 20 and you go to halftime and you come back on the court and you come back and you win the game, is there a version of that in art where you're able to say, wow, I'm really, this is not going the way I want to. I need to change this trajectory. Like how, how do you ever use those type types of skills to like um, uh, shift gears? I wish. No, but no, also no, because the thing is, that's the thing I find really frustrating about openings is that once you put the thing up there, it's done. You can't shift it and you can't even if like you have no, I felt, I think my first couple openings, I felt so um, powerless kind of. Yeah. Because you, because the, you know, you can't go back and change anything. You can't like change tracks. You can't try harder. You can't like just focus. It's just the thing, you know. And so it can't even really be. And but if, so that's the thing is like the opening can't really really be the. I don't know. It's just so different. You, you can't like you can't approach it like that at all because there's nothing you can do, and the work comes beforehand, you know. Um, and I mean the all that the whole process of sort of doubting refocusing changing tags all of that has to come before because you can't do it within you can't do it within the within the during the 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 time where you show whatever the 
work is, I guess. Right. And it is kind of like watching people, I mean, I guess the equivalent, if they're, I mean, this doesn't exist, but like watching people watch you play basketball or something like that. Like Basically, yeah. yeah watching other people watch a videotape of you. Yeah. The only thing you could do is to cut it off and walk away. But you, but you can't tell yourself to change what you're doing, you know? Yeah, and then if someone says something nice to you, like, that's just extra. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but then it's like everyone says nice things. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, wait, you can't even, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. Sure. Yeah, I guess especially at an opening, people, If they don't say nice say things, then you're really in trouble, <laughs> I think. Right, of course. How do you think that your work changed from from UCLA to ISP over that time? Mm, well, I don't year? know because I didn't really make much this year. Um, I think I think I I just the way I think is, has developed. Yeah. And changed. I think it's really it's really just about considering, you know, how to what position to take within the art world and like um and i i guess i i i would say that i've gotten really specific about what i don't want to do in art uh-huh. and i've gotten really good at ruling things out but it's can, defining things in a more positive way is like still a little bit elusive so i i know that i don't want to like i I know that there's a certain like level of competition to go back to that that I that I don't really want to participate in. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to be supported and like to have access to resources, but I don't care about a lot of things. Um, and and I and I don't want to. Um, I don't want to like be like worried about market considerations. I don't. There's like a there's a certain. There's like I'm. I've thought a lot about how I want to participate in the art world, uh-huh. um, and I'm, and I'm w- working on thinking about like the kind of work I want to make and what I'm. I mean, I'm still, but what I'm interested in like continues to develop. But it's been mostly just about like, okay, here's a here's a framework to like think about the, the world, the world and like the art world specifically, and how what I'm comfortable with my role being, I guess. Um, and yeah, it hasn't, it's been less of, I mean, it isn't super focused on making, although I made a couple of things, but it was, it's been more like philosophical, I guess. Uh-huh. And that, I mean, that program is, that's a good program for that. Or maybe why you went to it. I think so. Yeah. I, I got what I wanted to get out of it. I had a really, I mean, like I made a lot of good friends and had so many like, great conversations that I think are really going to stay with me and hopefully people I'm going to stay in touch with. Yeah. I mean, obviously working with Ron Clark has been uh-huh. um, really, actually, you know what they just did, they, it's the 50th anniversary and there was there's just a big um, interview with him in October, the journal. Uh-huh. And um, it's like the first time that they really, he's really talked about the program at length in public. So that, that has been really interesting. I just was reading an interview with him yesterday is why I found on my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been really good. It's, it's, I, I've enjoyed it. I mean, a lot of people have, there are a lot of, it's not perfect, and it's, it's, it's like any other institution. There's, like, problems, um, and there's, like, 
shortcomings, but I mm. think I, I've enjoyed it and I think I've gotten a lot out of it. Um, I'm really glad I did it. And um, do you want to teach? Is that something you're interested in doing? Yeah, I, I'd like to. Um, I mean, teaching jobs, that's another thing that people are being important. Oh, God, of, yeah, that's a whole a other jobs. awful space. <laughs> that also seems kind of arbitrary. Like, who knows? I don't know. Or maybe you have to know people or something. Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to, if I could get a teaching job, right? Yeah. I have a couple more thoughts about Eastern Europe. <laughs> mm. um, or just the idea of playing basketball in different places. So I'm interested through my artwork and like kind of discovering how basketball exists in different cities in the United States, in different regions in the United States, and, and also outside. And I'm just wondering conceptually, and I'm not even sure if this question is going to make sense, um, how basketball exists differently in the places that you've been, how it, how, what does it mean in different places? Oh, well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the, the, so the structure of the leagues and how this is, this is maybe like an ISP, uh, like, like the, the, the way that things are constructed is totally different. And I mean, this is like an economic, yeah. on an economic standpoint, like they're not like, they're not franchises. Um, they're not, they don't. So obviously in the NBA and NFL, there's no relegation and promotion. So those teams stay in the league every year. And no matter what happens, they stay in the league. And out, outside of this country, for the most part, the team, the bottom two teams go down to the second league and are like, they, they don't, you know, there's a, there's a whole hierarchy of leagues. So like, you're not necessarily guaranteed to stay in the top league. Yeah. Um, so that's one. So that that creates like there's a lot more movement and there's between um, like it's also like there's they're not things that can be moved. Like you can't move. Like FC Barcelona can't move to Sevilla. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not like. This, this whole thing where it's like a franchise where that is owned by a really rich person who may or may not move it to a completely different city at some point. Like it just, it, it can't happen because I think they're a lot, they're a lot more tied in with the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, and so I guess it's, it's a lot more, um, they, like I said, there are political implications for them. There, there are things that, that are, that relates to society maybe for the most part, because there are exceptions. I think the premier league has changed a bit and has become more American in that sense. Uh-huh. But, but in, you know, these teams are like the, a lot of times the only thing going in town and they're they're when they play against another town, it really matters. The rivalries not only have like, for example, when I, I lived in Bahrain for a while, Mm-hmm. And um, when I played in Bahrain, I played on a team which was um, Bahrain is, is sort of split um, between there's a there's a Sunni ruling class that controls the government. I mean, you know, it's a king the kingdom, um, and then there's a, there's the people who are more 
who are slightly less privileged in society are, are Shia. Mm-hmm. And they're, so I played for a team that was, that was Shia, that was almost everyone on the team was Shia except for me. Wow. And we played against a team that sort of was affiliated with the, the royal family. And that team was almost, almost exclusively had Sunni players. Um, not not completely, but 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 in any case, the people who owned the, the clubs were from two different mm-hmm. aspects of society, and there had been a political struggle in 2011, um, a couple of years. So I was there in 2014. So there had been a political struggle a couple of years before, and so they were all. So within that, there the, there are real like these these group dynamics that are expressed through sponsorship of these teams because they're not really, they don't really make money. A lot of these teams, they're a lot, oftentimes they're like, they're not like money. They're, they're more an expression of political power or like, um, you know, they're like ideological. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, that, that, that can be a place where there's, where like, political struggles are extended depending on the context. So, I mean, like, yeah, there's so like we would play. So when I was in Bosnia, I played for a team that was the Catholic that was in, there was all ethnic Croatians and Catholics. And when we played against the Serbian team, which were all Orthodox players, they, there was the game, but then there's also the sort of remnants of, of the war and the split of the country. Um, and there's all these different implications for things that that parallel the way the, the clubs are owned and operated. Um, and I think that you can, there's a, there's a really good book called How Soccer Explains the World okay. that talks about this yeah. um, within a soccer context. And it's all about like, Okay, what does it mean when Red Star plays Partizan in, in Serbia? What does it mean when, um, I mean, even in, in the Premier League, it's, 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 they're more, it's more foreign ownership now, but there are teams that have historically been um, associated with the Jewish population, like, like, like Tottenham, and there are other places that are different neighborhoods, like what is, you know, the north of England or south of England or, um, these are really broad strokes, but they're, they're right. real particularities for every country. Um, and I think that might be the, the biggest difference is that there's still an ability for sports to, it's not so corporatized and they're not, you know, I mean, outside of the Green Bay Packers, I don't think there are many teams that are owned by shareholders like Barcelona is, mm-hmm. like by like fans, you know. You know, the other thing that I wanted to, to, well, I guess it's not important, but it was like because at the time when you first hit me up, it was it was like the Rockets versus Warriors. Yes. And I was like really interested in this um, this thing. I think Zach Lowe wrote about, or just like the philosophy of the Rockets versus the philosophy of the Warriors, like like when you pump fake and jump into someone to draw the foul. Yes. Or what the Warriors do, which is pump fake, sidestep, and get an open shot, and like. Gaming the refs versus trying to um, 
like trusting in like your ability to make shots. Like I actually really, I'm not a big Warriors fan, but I got really, I became more appreciative appreciative of them um, when they played against the Rockets because I was just so annoyed by the way the by the Rockets play. Right. Yeah, I think this was something I had discussed with Apti um, when we had recorded our podcast. But the way the Rockets play, like it doesn't really feel like it's that alive. Like there's not a lot of. Um, it just feels like a little dead the way that they, the the their go to ways to score points, whereas it just feels unsportsmanlike. It feels like it feels like they're just they're just trying to find a loophole, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I grew up right outside of San Francisco, and I I am a Warriors fan. Um, I felt that it was really. Um, I've just never been excited by the way. The Rockets have played, even though both teams rely so much on outside shooting, there is such a different approach to how they get there. Um, and yeah, I think that that was really apparent in that series, especially, especially, especially when Kevin Durant got hurt, which of course I didn't want to happen. But the fact that they came back and kind of like played like they did in 2014 and 2015, it was like, oh my God, you know, in 2016, it was like, this is, this is very like exciting. Hmm. Or there was a different feeling there. Yeah, they were kind of underdog for a bit. Yeah, they were. And it was really hard to see. Um, I mean, I've been really spoiled the past few years, so I have nothing to complain about. But um, And I don't want to see them. I don't want to see another sweep or anything like that, like last year. But um, it was hard to see them play without uh, Clay and Kevin Durant for some of that time. And that... Uh, yeah, they, you could tell they were just, like, busted and tired. Uh, but I yeah. believed in them so much. Like, I believed in how hard they were playing and the fact that, like, they still came so close to to pushing it to a Game 7. Like, that's that was exciting to me. Yeah, they were really... They're, um... Like, I... I really... I started rooting for them maybe when... When, when Clay got hurt, I was like, okay, it would be cool if they won this game. Even though I wanted the Raptors to win from the beginning because yeah. I, I just wanted someone else to win. I mean, like I—I I mean, this is maybe my thing, like with the U, with rooting against the U.S. team, because I—I'm I'm not like a—I'm not like naturally very patriotic. It's like, okay, I want the team, the more interesting story, or the team that doesn't always win to win. Right. Um, but then when they, so so that's why it's like it, the way that the the way that the U.S. Um, the way that they were celebrating just seemed really like. Just super American. It felt like a, like a like the Iraq War or something. It's just like, yo, like what are you what are you doing? You know, you know what I mean. It's just like really sure. like really felt really right wing. Um, and the Warriors also because well, I, when they signed Durant, I felt like it was really difficult to root for them because they were just so dominant in a in a. I mean, but they played such beautiful basketball too. So I, I think I've come around after watching the Rockets. Maybe you know. A lot, people want to root for the Rockets over the Warriors, but the way they play is just so hard to root for because I don't, I don't really believe. It's not really why I watch basketball. Like right. it's not just about what. I mean, maybe this is like full circle uh, to the whole question about what, why, whether it's about just winning or like it's not just about winning. It's about how, like the aesthetic of the game. 
you know? Totally. I think that, and it's about how you feel as a viewer watching something um, that is compelling to you. And personally, I find the, like, jumping into the, the person that's defending you as you're shooting, like, that's not compelling to watch. And then have you go shoot free throws and then the game slows down. Like, that's boring as a viewer yeah. to me. Um, even though, like, you know, if that's their tactic, like, great. And if they won an NBA championship, then maybe, like, I would have a different take on it, but it's just like, it's not fun to watch. So no, I hope they know. Of course. I mean, I don't want them to, but it's like, maybe they, they could actually justify that tactic if they were like getting past the second round or third round of uh, the Western, the conference finals. Um, but they're not. And that make that, that pleases me that that brand of basketball is not, uh, is proving to not be a winning brand. Um, yeah. I also, no, I, I, I mean, I understand that. I mean, during the finals, like when, the minority owner of the Warriors pushed Kyle Lowry. I was like, had so many feelings about this. Just it's crazy. The Warriors, are, but that's the other thing. The Warriors are hard to root for. Well, yeah, I mean, but that I like, I ha I want to root for them. Like, I love they're my team, but at the same time, it's like that felt aw like that was not a good thing that happened, and he should not be he should not be allowed to to stay in any position of power in the league, and. Um, that, I mean, their owners, they're like Joe, Joe LaCombe or whatever. Like he's, Lacob, yeah. he, Lacob, he, they're, they're a problem. I mean, all of the owners are a problem, which, which, which is why I don't know that that can affect my, who I root for. Cause I don't like any of the owners, Yeah. but, but their, their fan base also has shifted a lot. I think it's like the tech scene has, has blown up. And now they're moving to San Francisco. Now they're leaving Oakland, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, that was total... I mean, I, I guess I do kind of believe in, like, basketball gods a little bit, maybe. I mean, as a fan. And, like, the fact that they lost their last game at Oracle by losing the championship, and now they're moving to this, like, fancy, like, just yuppie um, arena in San Francisco. Like, that just felt kind of, like... Yeah, like you shouldn't leave Oakland. But it um, is so. It is so. Like it is a metaphor for what has happened to the Bay Area. You know? Totally, totally. Like, and I think it's like one of those ways. In the in, maybe the way that in the U.S. that sports parallel political things, maybe a second second order where it's not necessarily about what's on the court, but like how how it's constructed, like the arenas, like the, the money that's coming in, and, and what what's happening to to the city. Um, so in that in that sense, it it really is political. And it's also just interesting that like this move is happening as this dynasty may or may not be ending. This huge move to a more expensive location where it's like all the people that were going to Oracle that had money are were gonna go no matter what. It's just now it's like you're kind of leaving out um, like people who have less money from the equation yeah. of, of being able to attend the games, and it's just like if this just completely coincides with like the Warriors not no longer being championship contenders, like that is also just, I think an interesting like data point. But the Warriors have been gentrified though. It's happened. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> but I still want them to win. I can't help it. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've You become... have to deal with the contradiction. This is the thing. Of course. There's always, there's always a contradiction. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I know it's like I need like a basketball therapist or something. It's so dumb and privileged. It's crazy. Like the, I was like, I don't want to see Clay lose. Like that was my big thing throughout the finals. I was like, I don't think I can handle him at like a press conference after losing. 
yeah. NBA championship because I've I've gotten used to the other thing. Um, but yeah, I agree that the the franchise is 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 problematic, and I think that there's also this idea in the Bay Area that. Um, we're so inclusive and we're so diverse and this is where things work that don't work in other parts of the country. And I don't think that's true. Um, it's just like no. gentrification, just like in um, uh, just like in Brooklyn, just like in Queens, just like anywhere else where like people are being pushed out. And even like the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, it's crazy what has happened like since I even left for college, like just the amount mm-hmm. of, of um, like what property is worth there now, um, which I think is, is a really scary thing just because I think when things get like that, they, they also explode. Um, worth, worth. Yeah. So anyways, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. And I think that the warriors are, are so tied into the, the sort of like, mm, yeah, like you were saying, like the startups and the, the techs and like that bubble, like the Warriors are, that franchise is in on that, even if the players aren't as individuals. Well, I mean, they are too. They're all, they're all, a lot of them are like, or they have their own VCs now. Mm-hmm. I know that. I know Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Durant. Durant. Yeah. 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 No, no, they're not separated from me. They're all, everyone's implicated. um yeah and i also think that like Kawhi made that shot that crazy shot the four bounce shot and that felt like something is happening here to me that was like an energy shift like the raptors had momentum and uh that was an exciting thing and um you know that that was probably the most exciting moment for the whole playoffs even though that wasn't the team i was rooting for like that was an incredible collective I felt like I was experiencing it with like all the other people that were watching. Like that was just an insane moment to see live. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was so, I think that's where like the spirituality of basketball comes into it a little bit for me. Cause I just felt like, Whoa, this is larger than life. Like this, like holding your breath and watching this and like even the players watching it as spectators rather than participants. It was so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a fun team. Yeah. No, congratulations to them. No, no hard feelings. Um, and yeah, the Warriors have their their shit to work out. So I'll keep you posted on my evolving relationship with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Then I don't think this. It's going to be tough for them to come back. It's going to be really tough, and it's going to be hard to like. I mean, they had some momentum still, and they were the favorites, and um, so it's going to be hard to like build up back that thing that they had going in twenty fifteen where it was like, they're the next big thing. It's like, they're old news. Yeah. But that's the way it goes. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, talk Take to care. you. Bye.